seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. All right, so check one. Good. Hey, good morning. All right, so uh, yes, we, we reread the entire passage every single week because they kind of build and it, there comes to be like a flow and you start to see them all um, in, oh, we're gone. Um, where do we go? Uh, there we are. Okay. Uh, we come to see them all sort of um, stacking on each other, and, and there's, uh, it becomes more and more beautiful as you add more of these ideas on top of them. Today we're, we're tackling verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So today we're actually going to talk about um, oh, sort of the ingredients of mercy, if you will. Sympathy, we're going to talk about, we're gonna talk about, talk about forgiveness. Um, and this one's a little heavier, so... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that means like prepare yourself. I have no, just do something with that. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna pray and uh, let's dive into this, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place. We come to you now, and uh, we gather as uh, as your people, as your body. We are your hands and feet in the world, and we are your mouth and your eyes. We see. Uh, the, the suffering of people. We see the offenses of people against others and against you. And um, we have been tasked with carrying on your work here as the images of you, of, of ushering your kingdom uh, into these earthly kingdoms. And it's difficult. And it's hard to forgive. And it's hard to to be what you're asking us to be and to do the things that that we know we are called to do. So first off, we thank you for the grace that you offer. We thank you that uh, um, there is grace even in our, uh, our absence of being equipped, our inability to, to change things. Thank you for the, uh, the messages that we receive from you about how even if you can't um, fix things and measure up, there is still grace and love that your love for us is not dependent upon our performance. But, Father, we, we also do want wholeness in the world. We do wish for things to be made whole again. And wrapped up in that is things like forgiveness and somehow showing mercy. And so I ask that you would show us what you want us to see this morning. I ask that you would give us the eyes with which to look at all of this. Uh, be with me as I speak this morning. Allow me to be uh, clear-headed and to remember the things I've studied. Allow me to communicate clearly. Allow, allow me to listen. Allow all of us to be present and here with you and listening. Thank you for your word and for this place. Amen. Okay, so here's our, our quick passage for today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So as we do, we need to, we need to make sure we're, we're understanding things from the original context um, in the original words. Um, hold on a second. Uh, okay. So the first thing that we need to do is define merciful. Merciful uh, comes from the Greek word eleemon. Everyone say eleemon. Very good. Uh, it's where we get our word for alms. 
which is interesting. And uh, oftentimes there's not a great way to define a lot of these words in English. We can kind of look at the descendants of these words, and in that you can kind of capture what this sort of means. Alms, you know, you, you watch these old movies and they're like, alms for the poor. And, and, uh, and, and so there's this idea that like someone doesn't deserve something and you give it to them. They don't have it, they need it. And so you're giving it to them. Um, and so this word actually comes from uh, uh, the, the root word elios, which means a gracious action. Um, again, that's when you think of alms, this is sort of the, the mental picture, the metaphor that you have. Someone uh, giving to someone that which they do not have and cannot attain on their own. Um, mercy itself is something that is shown uh, from somebody who is, for lack of a better word, it's like in a position of authority and power over somebody. Um, you have the ability to, to change the trajectory of the thing that they're going through. You can make it better or worse. Mercy is the act of making it better somehow. So if I'm, I'm going to define this, it's going to be uh, giving that which someone did not earn and does not deserve. Normally when we think of mercy today, instead of sort of giving alms, when we think of mercy, it, it's an emotional thing. It's somebody has offended us, somebody has committed some crime, somebody has deserved it, some big punishment, and they're on their knees and they're begging, please have mercy on me. Um, I won't do it again, I super promise, and I won't do it again. And you kind of look at them, and, and if it's a really bad thing, there's a crowd of people around you, whether in real life or online or whatever, and they're saying, here's what they deserve, give it to them, throw the book at them. And there's this emotional reaction that we tend to have. Uh, mercy is a, a decisive, it's not emotional. Mercy is decisive. It's a decision to act differently, to put aside the fruits of the flesh, to put on sort of the fruits of the spirit, to use biblical phrases, uh, and to act from a different place. Um, now, there's, there's two things that mercy requires in order to be a merciful person. Uh, mercy requires sympathy, and mercy requires um, forgiveness. And so first I want to talk about sympathy. Sympathy is, a, is a, probably the most integral part of mercy, because it requires something of you. Um, so if you look at the, actually the word, the idea of sympathy, the word sympathy uh, comes, from, comes from this ancient word, uh, Greek word, sin pashen. Uh, sin is where we get a word for sink, like and sink. Um, and pashen means it's, it's all where we get a word passion, like to experience something. Um, and so sympathy really wrapped up in the idea of sympathy is to experience together uh, so you're, you're not only going to look at um, where you both are now, you're going to look at the experience that they've had that's brought them here, the experience that you've had that's brought you here. It's a deliberate decision when you have sympathy on someone. It's a deliberate decision to look at their past. Okay, so um, let me do the best I can do my thing to describe how this works. So there's two of you, and one of you is utterly offended, and in, you're in some position of power, and you have the ability... Um, to make this person's situation worse, to punish them or send them to some sort of like rehabilitation place or whatever. Um, and you can punish them, you can take something away, you can withhold something from them uh, to make them feel some sort of discomfort of, of some type. Uh, sympathy is when you don't just look at what they did, it's when you understand that there are things that brought them to this place. 
that everyone has a path, everyone has a journey. And as you're moving through your life, there are things um, that you sort of experience that change the trajectory of your life. And each one of these things that you hit um, has defined part of your journey, um, your background, where you came from, um, the ways people have treated you, any abuse that you've gone through. And sympathy is understanding that most of the time, your path has just been very different. Sympathy. To, in order to be merciful on somebody, um, it requires sympathy. And so here's how this works. Um, someone is in a position of withholding th- something from someone else or, or dishing something out on them. And instead of just looking at the situation, um, they, they take all of this, their journey... And keep that in mind because you understand that on some level, people have a very different upbringing. People have a very different journey. Your journey has not been like theirs. Um, Mercy um, requires this. Mercy is something that, that according to Jesus, is something that his followers should regularly be exercising. Uh, And so we listen to people. And so we read those books. And so we spend time with people that we completely disagree with. Um, trying to understand, trying to sin passion, experience together. Because most of the time you're making decisions and, and you are in a position of giving or keeping from somebody. But the only person, the only life that you've experienced is your own and not theirs. Sympathy, in order to be merciful, it requires sympathy. It requires understanding where we come from. Um, Sometimes there are cultures where this is built into the culture. One of those cultures where you can see this idea of sympathy and being quick to understand is actually in the Amish community. In in October 2nd, uh, 2006, October 2nd, uh, there was a town called uh, Mickle, Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Maybe you've heard of it. There was um, this tragic event where this shooter walked into an Amish schoolhouse um, and let all the children go except for 10 girls and then lined them up and started executing these girls, these young girls. And on the fifth one, he stopped and killed himself. Um, and there's this, you know, the outcries that we have. Every time there is a school shooting, we react with this, uh, a, a way that is understandable. We have vitriol. We're angry. We want to act and do something about it. But if you actually look at what the Amish did, it is stunning. Um, within hours, the Amish community had poured out, self-declared, we've poured out forgiveness on this guy. We've forgiven him. And, and it wasn't just that they made a statement. And people have all kinds of questions about this. Um, the local news affiliates, they sort of flooded them with questions about how they could forgive and how they decided to forgive collectively the killer. And, um, and one of the grandmothers of one of the little girls, they asked her, how, um, how did you guys decide to forgive? And she said, what do you mean, how did we decide to forgive? And her exact words were, you mean that some people actually think that we had a meeting to plan forgiveness? And to her, that was preposterous. You don't plan forgiveness. You don't gather together and decide whether or not you're going to forgive somebody. Um, in their eyes, they are followers of Jesus. And they forgive. 
and it seems incredibly complicated, incredibly difficult. I'm going to read you um, an outtake um, from one of the local papers. It goes like this. Um, As the father of a slain daughter explained, he says, our forgiveness was not our words, it was what we did. Members of the community visited the gunman's widow at her home with food and flowers and hugged members of his family. There were a few words, but it was primarily their hugs, gifts, and mere presence and acts of grace that communicated the Amish forgiveness. Of the 75 people at the killer's burial, about half were Amish, including parents who had buried their own children a day or so before. Amish people also contributed to a fund for the shooter's family. Amish faith is grounded, it goes on to say, Amish faith is grounded in the teachings of Jesus to love enemies, to reject revenge, to leave vengeance in the hands of God. As a father who lost a daughter in the schoolhouse said, forgiveness means giving up the right to revenge. Now, for most of us, it seems unhealthy. You look at how, how could somebody just forgive? Isn't there a long process? And see, what they've done in the Amish community is they've actually inverted the process. We tend to take the journey towards forgiveness after something has happened. The Amish community has this long tradition for centuries where they, they actually are raised in the practice of forgiveness and forgiving offenses, understanding the journey of people um, and the grace of God long before offenses take place. And they prepare their lives and practice spiritual disciplines in order to make themselves strong so that in the event of tragedy, they have forgiveness ready to go for the people um, that offended them. And so one of the things that, that the Amish people did is they went directly to the family of the person who committed this tragedy. Um, and they learned all about him, and they, and they, and they wrote about him. His name, was, his name was Charles Roberts. He was 32 years old. He was a husband. He was a father of three children. And he had suffered the loss of his daughter nine years earlier. And they come to find out this man has been on a journey, an intensely painful journey, who suffered the loss of his daughter. And, and, and they come out and say, well, this man was never able to forgive God for what happened to him. And this welled up inside of him for nine years until it exploded on this. And what this man not, could not forgive for nine years, the Amish people forgave in one afternoon on a scale much larger than anything he had experienced. Sympathy plays a huge part in forgiveness. There are people that individually, all of us have people in our lives that we do not, we purposely do not practice sympathy on. We purposely do not spend time thinking about their experience. We get offended when, we, when people share stories about people who commit these tragedies and then give details about their life, their family life, because we don't want to hear it because what we want to hear is they're evil, I'm good. We have the same journey, they just made bad decisions. Um, this is antithetical to actually how the gospel works. And we're going to talk about that, this cosmic act of God um, having sympathy on us entering into our story. Um, but basically, there is this cycle that all through the scriptures, God is trying to release us from. It's called the cycle of vengeance. Now, let's say, um, let's say somebody hands you something and you weren't expecting it. 
you have no idea what to do with it, and they handed it to you. It's some kind of offense, some kind of thing that they've committed towards you, and you find yourself with this thing, and you don't know what to do with it. And you're looking around at others. Did you see this? Did you see what happened? Did you see what, what I have here? And your question is, what do I do with this? Your question is, do I, do I throw it back? Maybe I fill it up, make it a little heavier, and then I throw it back. Um, this is called vengeance. This is a cycle that human beings have been in since the dawn of time. Um, when the Old Testament scriptures were written, when these prophets were writing these things, um, there, it was a time in the world that was very tribal, and the law, laws were not based around justice. Laws were actually based around vengeance. Um, in other words, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back 20 times more. See, oftentimes we read these stories, and then we read these laws, um, and so Exodus 21 has some of these laws here. It says, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And we read this today, and we look back, and we say, that, this is what's wrong with the Bible. It's brutal. Um, this is not Right. When somebody steals something, we don't go steal something from them. When somebody gets their hand cut off, we don't cut their hand off. We, this is not what we do. This is not how civilized society works. And you're right. But the reason civilized society does not work like this is because it started here. There is this progression as you move through the scriptures of God. You don't just brainwash somebody and send them out into the world thinking different than everyone else. You awaken them to things. And so when you actually read an ancient text like this, Exodus 21... Um, the law in that day was not justice. The law in that day was vengeance. In other words, you hit me with something, I hit you back, and what we end up with is all kind of pain and hurt. The laws used to be, the, um, a lot of the, it's funny because you read the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and even Exodus, and you see these laws, and if you actually look at ancient Near East texts, there were other books of laws that sound similar but are written slightly different. Like some of them are, are like in the same order of commands just lightly tweaked to be more just. Um, in the Code of Hammurabi, basically the law was, um, if you kill one of us, we wipe out your whole tribe. Um, if you injure one of us, you die. Human beings tend to be like this. When somebody hits us, we don't want to just want to give back with that. We want to give back bigger and more and this cycle of vengeance grows, and it goes back and forth. And so the first thing that happens uh, when the people become followers of Yahweh is they receive this law, and this law tells them, okay, so we're going to limit this. It's going to start like this. Um, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. In other words, it's not life for an eye. It's not head for a tooth. We're going to limit this thing. Um, and this is step one. And as you move forward, uh, and when we get to, uh, uh, I think it's verse 38 in this same chapter that we're studying, Matthew 5, Jesus actually takes this law and amends it again and makes it just and gracious. And we'll get there. Um, but the cycle of vengeance was one of the first things that the scriptures sought to end. Um, Jesus himself actually transcends this. And instead of giving it back, he receives it and bears the weight of it and returns love. 
I'm going to get there in a few weeks, but we're talking about mercy today. And so mercy requires two things. Again, it requires sympathy, understanding someone's story. The second thing that mercy requires is forgiveness. And so we need to talk about forgiveness. And the first thing I want to talk about is what forgiveness uh, is not. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not just saying, uh, you do whatever you want, I'll just forgive everything that you do. It's not encouraging. It's not condoning. That is not forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is not pretending. It's not walking around acting like everything's fine and everything's okay. Uh, it's not being passive-aggressive. Um, it's not just letting things go. Forgiveness is also not admitting weakness. When you forgive someone, it doesn't make you weak. Um, it's not allowing people to walk all over you. Forgiveness is also not being, again, passive. It's not just letting things go. Forgiveness is a decisive action done by you uh, in an attempt at reconciliation, at making things right. Um, so there's this, uh, there's this pastor. His name is Dr. Lewis Smead. He's a retired pastor now. He's an author. And he writes this, and this always stands out to me. He says, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and finding out that it was you. You know what that means? Um, forgiveness is about a cancellation of debt. It's basically the ability to look at someone and say, you don't owe me anything. I'm not asking anything of you. I'm setting you free. And what you do when you set other people free of their debt is you realize that you were carrying a debt too. You realize that you were waiting and forcing them to work for your forgiveness and you were sort of making all these rules and laws and keeping a mental tab. And forgiveness uh, has in it this act of saying, there's nothing to be done. There's nothing to be done. I've found healing. Um, everything that needs to be done has been done in my heart. It's, it's been done between me and my Lord. Um, I'm free of you. I'm not going to carry this anymore. Um, and the thing about forgiveness is, uh, it... it it doesn't mean that things go back to being the way that they were. That's called reconciliation. Reconciliation is wonderful. It's important. Reconciliation, though, takes two people. Forgiveness just takes one. And so recon uh, reconciliation has to wait sort of for the other person to admit, to confess, to ask for forgiveness. Um, but you are not a prisoner to other people. Reconciliation is wonderful if it can be done. It can't always happen, but it is the goal. Um, ultimately, reconciliation is done by God himself. Forgiveness, um, it only requires the work be done by you, not them. In forgiveness, you are free to be free from these people who have done this thing to you. But it takes work and it takes prayer. Um, when I read the story of the Amish uh, and what they did, it reminds me. And there's other stories like this. My, my dad tells this story about um, when he was a teenager, he knew a drunk driver in Pennsylvania that, that killed, that, that hit, a, he was in the middle of the night just going really fast and hit one of those buggies and, and killed half of a family. And the next day, the family went to see him and, and brought him food and then had him regularly over to their house for dinner. Forgiveness, it, it's... It's deep in our souls. It's something we work towards daily. It has to do with understanding what sin does in the lives of the people around you. Um, 
and learning how to be free from it. Not saying it doesn't hurt. So there's this book in the scriptures called, called the book of Jonah. And we've all, if, you're, if you grew up as a child in the church, you know the book of Jonah. And most people think it's a story about a, about, about a guy who gets eaten by a fish. And three days later, the fish spits him out. And the reason this all happened is because he disobeyed God. And so the story becomes about um, obey God or don't get on a boat because God's going to throw you off and send a fish and eat you. And there's a whole deal. And God's going to make you basically do what God wants you to do. And people think that's what the story's about. That is actually not what the story is about at all. The book of Jonah is an entire book. It's four chapters long. The entire book is about forgiveness. And maybe you haven't seen this. Um, but it all takes place uh, around this, centered around the city called Nineveh. Nineveh was a, uh, an ancient Assyrian city. Now, if you're... Uh, um, an ancient Israelite, and you hear about the Assyrians, um, you hear a story about them, um, a little bit of anger wells up inside of you because you hate the Assyrians. Because to you, they are the most evil of the evil. Because um, even Jonah sets up this premise, the scriptures talk about this premise of, of uh, the Assyrians laying siege to the Israelites, uh, starving them out, killing thousands of them, and then um, taking them out of their city, ransacking their city, taking it over, making it their own, and making the Israelites prisoners and slaves in exile in a different city for generations. So Jonah is a descendant of these Israelites who looks back on his past and sees these terrible atrocities done by the Assyrians. Now imagine you're an ancient person, you're an Israelite, and you're reading this story, and God tells Jonah, hey, you're going to go to the Assyrians, and you're going to preach to them my message of love. And then Jonah runs the other way. You're not thinking, oh man, Jonah, you better obey God. You're thinking, good, run. Do not go to them. They are the most evil, vile people on the face of the planet. And so the entire story is centered around um, this whole premise of Jonah not wanting to go to the Assyrians. And we ask, well, why didn't he want to go to the Assyrians? Uh, Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Jonah actually tells us in chapter 4, he says, That is why I made haste to flee tar- to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I would rather die than forgive these people. I want nothing to do with these people, and I don't want to serve a God that loves these kinds of people. And the fact is that deep in our hearts, we human beings, Christians, regularly have these thoughts. I would rather die than call these people my brother. And this is a story about forgiveness. Jonah is the Israelites. The reason this story survived for so long, as bizarre as it is, the reason it is in, is, is, is in the canon of Scripture is to remind the people about the love of God, how it transcends anything that we have. It, the reason it's in scriptures is, is because it's something that the Israelites needed to read every single generation because as we grow up, as we live our lives, it's not just the things that happen to us that shape our image of other people. It's the things that happen to our families, to our, all the people in our past. And we carry all these things with us. And then God says, um, actually, I mean, let's just read it. 
This is how the book of Jonah ends. It actually ends with a question. It's the only book in the Bible that ends with a question because the people who are reading the book are supposed to dwell on this question regularly. He says this, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? This is God talking. In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. He says they have have no idea what they're doing. They are the product of the environment they were raised in. They don't know their right hand from their left. Should I not love them? And what the Israelites reading this book are hearing is, should you not love them? And so the question is, does the past determine the future? Is it written? Can things be changed? Is it all set in stone? Can you ever reconcile with these other people? You read the story of Romeo and Juliet, it's generations later, and Shakespeare kind of says, and the two families hated each other because at some point someone said something. They don't even remember what happened. We just carry these things for generations. And so there are these books in the scriptures that lay it all out for you. Can you not forgive? Does God not love them? Do you want to be like God? Can you learn to love them too, despite the things that they've done? All the time, my answer is no. I can't. And then I, I, I see these people who have figured it out and they've done it and they live these peaceful lives, um, loving lives with other people and they're genuinely, they're genuinely at peace. And it's so hard. But it's something we are told, you need to contemplate this. Can we move on from our past? Does our past decide our future? Are our wounds forever? Can we be healed? Can we be set free? Can we be resurrected? Must the murderer be killed? Must the adulteress be stoned? That's what, that's what the book of Jonah is about. And Jesus builds off of these. This last line, should I not pity the of that great city? And he says, people, 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. It sounds very familiar to something that Jesus said on the cross. Do you remember it? Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And so what we have in Jesus, this story that we tell the divine God, all the most glorious thing, the creator of all, the the greatest force in the universe, um, in the flesh. What is that? That's an act of cosmic sympathy. Sin Pashain. God came to, to experience together because we were estranged, because there was a rift, because there needed to be forgiveness. And it's not that God felt it, it's just that we felt it too. That's why people have been offering sacrifices for thousands of years, because we understand there is a rift between us and God. We, we want somehow to know that, we are, that, that God's not angry. And so people have been offering sacrifices for thousands and thousands of years. At one point, it got so bad that they were offering human sacrifices. And so the scriptures right up front in the book of Genesis puts a stop to that. He says, hey, sacrifice your son. He gets up there, he goes, don't sacrifice your son. We're done with that. Here's an animal. And then there's these animal sacrifices for a long time. And at some point, the prophets stand up and said, God doesn't even want your your animal sacrifices. What he wants, your sacrifice should be um, an upright heart, justice, rolling. And, and love, welcoming the immigrant. And, um, and, then, and then you get farther than that down the road, and Jesus enters into the scene and says, hey, how about no more sacrifices at all? This was the goal, one last sacrifice, and may you know that it's done. 
that you are okay, that you are forgiven. And the only way that we can know, because some people walk through their lives, oh, there's no way I can be forgiven for the things that I've done. There's no way me and God will ever be good. There's no way um, I will ever be able to walk with, with a, a full heart and at peace knowing the tragedies that I've committed against my fellow person. And the story of Jesus argues against that. Yes, you can. You know how? How? Because God has sympathy on you. That was the whole point of the, of the mission, to come and walk in your shoes, to understand these decisions that you made, what it means to suffer, what it means to lose friends, what it means to be mocked and looked down upon, what it means to be attacked and brutalized. All of these things that you have experienced against other people that form the person that you are, you feel like so separate from goodness in this world, which is why God enters into this world to feel what you have felt so that you know God has fully forgiven you because he understands. So there's not this thing like where, where you could be thinking in your head like, well, there's no way, there's no way God would ever forgive me. I mean, he doesn't really know. He doesn't know, yes, he does. That's the whole idea of the incarnation. This is why we tell the gospel story, to let you know forgiveness is possible and it's real and it's divine It has been showered upon you, not just so that you could know you're forgiven, but to show you how it's done. And so we ourselves become incarnational. We enter into the story of other people, into their lives. We strive to understand. We spend time with them. We listen. We try to look at it from their angle, to walk a mile in their shoes, if you will, and to say, if I was was in your shoes, I would have done the same thing because it's probably true. There but for the grace of God go each each and every one of us. We look at these terrible figures in history and we think there's no way I would ever, ever fall into that, take part in that. Yes, you would. Every one of us would. And yet here we are sitting here today talking about how much the divine loves us. And that at some point this week, someone is going to talk about how evil someone else is. And hopefully this will come back to you. Sin Pashain, experiencing together, understanding their journey was not like yours. There is grace for them. And so we're going to take communion. This is the best way to respond to all of this. The communion is the symbol of, of reconciliation. This is how it happens. We pour ourselves out for the world the way our Savior poured himself out for us so that we can find salvation. So our communion servers, go ahead and take the elements uh, and, and gather around, spread around the room if you could. Today, why don't we spend some time contemplating mercy, sympathy, and forgiveness. All of us, all of us have people we need to forgive. I want you to think of that person who you need to forgive. And for a lot of you, You just thought of somebody and you went on to somebody else. Go back to that first person again. (laughs) And let's hang out there for a minute. Is it possible you don't fully understand? Is it possible that Jesus would look at you and say, hey, forgive them. They don't don't know what they're doing. They They don't understand the kind of hurt that they've brought they were acting from a place that was like self-preservational. They don't understand. 
Let's practice some sympathy. Let's practice some forgiveness. And forgiveness is a journey. It's not necessarily going to happen today, tomorrow, this month. But it's a journey, which means you're moving towards it. And let's pray for grace. Let's thank God for grace that we've received and spend some time praying for healing, shall we? And then we're going to take communion. So let's pray. Father, thank you for these people, the things that we've experienced. Guide us and fashion us and make us, make us whole. Whatever it is that some of these Christians hold on to that allows them to truly forgive and show mercy, whatever that is, help us to grab hold of that. Help us to order our lives and build our lives and discipline our lives in such a way that we are prepared for offenses against us. May we not throw them back. May we lay them down at the foot of the cross. May we stretch our arms out to embrace